Hello everyone and welcome to the Comexus Cast Daily for Monday, January 8th, 2018. All the news you need to know from our inbox to yours. I'm Matthew McGordy, the videographer and podcaster here at Comexus. And today I am joined by the lead strategist at Comexus, Philip Brooks. Good afternoon. And the president of Comexus, Len Ward. Good afternoon. So our first story for today, uh, eMarketer has uh, put out a, a report based on a, a new study uh, that has found that ad trackers are on more than 75% <laughs> of websites, and more specifically, it is 77.4. Uh, so in a recent examination of more than 144 million web pages loaded in more than a dozen countries, Clicks and Ghostery, the people who did the, uh, the study, uh, found that 77.4 of all websites had at least one third-party tracker, and in addition, the analysis revealed that a sizable minority, which was about 16.2, featured 10 or more trackers, <laughs> um, which is, is quite a lot. Um, so Google uh, was the most prevalent of these, uh, mostly related to Google Analytics, which had about 46.4% of web pages examined had Google Analytics. Um, and AdSense and DoubleClick were relatively um, there as well, though, though not as high. Um, and Facebook was another big one. They had about 21.9% of pages. Um, so in some cases, uh, there were high ad frequency rates. Uh, they suggest in this piece um, that if you have too many trackers or that if you have trackers in general they can lead to obviously you know more customized ads which could lead to people being more likely to ad block your ads um, I don't know if I necessarily buy that line I think most people are just looking to ad block that, to that ad block is not the biggest problem I see with that yeah. at all <laughs> um, Go, I mean, if you want to go ahead, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, I was gonna, yeah. Just to start off, first of all, Ghostery is a great app. Uh, I use it on oh, really? as, as a plugin. I'm, I've used it for mm -hmm. a long time on, on, on Chrome. Um, but it, to me, the first thing that jumps out is you know Google's emphasis on site speed and how sites load. With all these trackers on the sites, it has to have a negative impact mm -hmm. on site speed yeah. and loading. And I don't. It's 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 only a matter of time before Google starts putting guidelines on how many ad trackers is too many on a site. Um, you know, given that they're already going to start dinging sites for the site speed in general, um, but you know, I can guarantee you that the the once ad trackers that will not be removed from sites by as far as Google's <laughs> stuff are Google's own. So uh, you know, if you're a third party ad tracker out there, I would start you know looking to see. Um, you know what what kind of prioritization these sites you know webmasters are going to be putting on your ad tracker yeah I mean one of the things they mentioned in the piece as well um, in, in regards to slowing it down is um, a couple companies so for example snap um, reversed um, originally they had stated that they didn't want to use an ad tracker because they were afraid that it would slow down pages in conjunction with other ones uh, but they recently uh, reversed that and, and started allowing uh, trackers and, and, and their own tracker and ways to track uh, through the Snapchat app into uh, different web pages so um, definitely something to keep an eye out on um, I mean I, I would I would hate if I had <laughs> 10 <laughs> trackers on a site and I couldn't load to it so there you go mm. um, so for our second story uh, a Facebook came out with a blog post um, that had basically five graphs and and quote unquote um, uh, what was the quote? What did they title? Give me one second, folks. They called it five graphs to change the way you understand mobile video 
and TV. Um, so Tim Peterson did a, a nice little breakdown of these five graphs. Um, so some of this is going to be a little bit of his editorializing. Um, but the graphs which you'll be seeing in front of you, um, basically just a, a frame of reference. Um, there are no numbers on the graphs, as you can see. Um, they are also being using Facebook's internal numbers. And it is based on watch time and not completion rate. Um, and the, the clear thing that you can see from this is that non-skippables, uh, which are non-skippable pre-roll, mid-roll ads, uh, tend to be um, the best in terms of these graphs. Um, so what do, we, what do we think about this, guys? Well, my first thought really is, you know, again, like as you've pointed out, there's mm -hmm. no real numbers for the benchmarking here. So we don't really have any, any frame of reference other than what's being compared to, you know, their, their compatriots. Um, you know, I, I think it, the other thing that really jumps out at me is that, you know, we're not looking at abandonment rate here at all. Mm -hmm. We're not factoring that into this at all. I mean, I know that if I come up with a mid-roll ad and it's something I'm only partially interested in, I just scroll on by. So, um, you know, and I think that the other piece to look at is here is, you know, in the feed, uh, in general, you're getting a lot more volume than you're seeing in stories and live TV. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think in feed that's going to be going to skew those numbers up. If you were, I would like to see them kind of independent of one another uh, mm -hmm. and see, you know, what what you know, what those kind of look like. I mean, the relevancy in general um, in some of the stories in live TV already seems to me to be a, a, a roadblock to getting the people to stay on there and show that kind of patience anyway. So. Stuff that's in my feed, I'm a lot more likely to watch anyway. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that's necessarily a, a function of the ads working any better or just because the content is far more relevant to my interests. Yeah, I think that, that is a, a fair point. Um, one small quote that, uh, that uh, was in the, the blog post and that, and that Peterson um, editorializes a little bit was from Mark Rapkin, the vice president of ads and business platform for Facebook. Uh, and he's quoted saying, there's no longer a singular video experience for advertisers. Uh, and then Peter Peterson editorialized a little bit. Getting a 20 something to watch a story ad for 10 seconds might be harder than getting a senior citizen to sit through 10 seconds of a non-skippable in-stream video ad. Uh, so the values of those views should be weighed accordingly. Uh, and then quoting again, Rapkin, uh, what's more, those 10 seconds don't tell us much about the value created because duration data alone isn't great at fully predicting business results across different experiences. Um, so basically, Facebook wants you to know that while the graph says that non-skippables are the best, you should not just be front-loading all of your money um, into it, which I think is a, a smart idea anyway, <laughs> um, not to do that. So um, so any final thoughts on that, Len, before we uh, move uh, on? Zero. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this, is, this report's like, you know. It, it's, it squiggles. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's... You know, this is propaganda. Facebook saying, yeah. "Throw well, your money right here." Yeah, I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's fairly uh, it's it's you know it's very very obvious that they're pointing towards a certain way. You know? Yeah. yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, so our final story for today, uh, DigiDay did a little bit of a breakdown of the Facebook journalism project um, that began one year ago. Yeah, I mean, this is really just kind of checking in on the Facebook journalism project a year later. Um, Campbell Brown, the former NBC News anchor, uh, it was appointed the Facebook head of news partnerships, uh, kind of runs this program, and you know, her job is to smooth relations with these prominent news publishers we're talking NBC really ABC you know CBS um, the Wall Street Journal all these large-scale content publishers and journalists you know fitting the old school on definition thereof um, but it's you know it's really kind of you know just to, to give you some background on why it was started 
you know, most publishers were saying that Facebook was getting it was you know the sp the fake news thing was spreading a lot. Um, there was a, it was contributing to filter bubbles, and they were doing too little to help these publishers make monetize the platform. Uh, so Facebook created this group. They meet twice annually, and they get an, a look at products before they launch. Uh, they get to give feedback directly to product developers, and they get to work with some of the executives of the company. So they get some access that you or I wouldn't necessarily get. But you know, if, if you talk to some of these pub these publishers afterwards, they're not saying that that's translating particularly well into uh, you know just kind of how they work together with 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 mm -hmm. you know um, one of the things they were looking at was instant articles, which are basically Facebook's answer to Google AMP. Um, so far, have basically been a bust, uh, so they haven't worked particularly well, and a lot of them, a lot of people have ta pulled their money out of them. Um, they're still finding a really difficult. It's finding it difficult to monetize video advertising uh, as publishers. It's not working as well for them. Uh, I, I think as a large-scale publisher, having to put that much investment in that type of content, uh, you know, puts them on a far different level than what we're talking about our clients doing. Um, so I don't, you know, just I don't want to frighten people away from that. I, I think it's a it's a scale issue and not necessarily a problem with the video content. Um, again, the, the fake news initiatives, one of the things they started putting in was that disputed tag. That didn't last particularly long. It's gone already, um, and but most people are still fairly unhappy with the amount of fake news that's getting through still. Um, and the data sharing, despite Facebook sharing some of its tools with the publishers, um, they're not feeling they're getting a lot of training on how to use them or uh, under, uh, a lot of understanding and insight as to how that actually has relevancy to their numbers in s internally. Um, so, you know, I, I think the thing that, that I pull away from it is this is a l in a lot of ways a PR type of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and here's the part that you really need to take away. Publishers need to realize that there's only so much help they can expect to get from Facebook because Facebook's, you know, what their business model is fundamentally at odds with what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, th that's the piece. It's Facebook se is seeking to replace them, and they're basically trying to find a way to make them to lessen their obsolescence as that that you know kind of happens so um, you know Facebook's really just stringing them along in a lot of ways in my opinion because they need their content for the Facebook news feed but if it weren't for the fact that these news gathering in, in, you know, channels needed Facebook to you know need, needed to fill those feeds for Facebook I, I don't see why they would even bother to help them yeah and that's a good point I mean one 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 thing that I thought was kind of funny from from the article was um, publishers. One, one of the comments they made was that uh, they felt like they were um, they were being heard a little bit more from Facebook and getting a little bit more feedback. And they were shocked that Facebook, uh, for some publishers, was even talking to them at all. Yeah, um, which I, I think definitely uh, definitely says something. Um, so not not a whole lot has uh, <laughs> has been changed, but uh, people are a little bit happier that Facebook's at least talking to them. Um, but I, I just that. I, I would really apply but, but the Goodfellas logo. Yeah. The, the no, go ahead, I'm sorry. The, the, well, it's just it's a throwaway line, but Goodfellas, the F you give us your money plan, <laughs> that's that's essentially Facebook's option. You know, that's that's their message to these publishers. You know, we'll try to ease, ease the burden a little bit on you, but in the end, we still just want your money. How is Facebook going to replace that, though? How are you going to replace Wall Street Journal content? How are you going to replace, you know, uh, you know the Washington right. Post? I mean, what, what I mean... Am I missing something? Like, did they well, that, that, that's this? I, I think that's part of the problem is that you know Facebook needs these publishers to provide content, mm -hmm. um, and I think that the fake news thing, I, because these are being published by you know not reputable news outlets, 
and that's being confused for reputable news. True. But the problem is, is that you know these these publishers just aren't able to afford to pay at scale to get this stuff through on Facebook in the way that it needs to get out there. Um, you know, and, and I think they're looking for Facebook to kind of meet them in the middle, make these services a little more affordable, and help them get <coughs> this content out there. And Facebook's really kind of like, well, that's you know, if you want to you want to pay for it, sure, we'll do it. But you got to pay for it. And I think that that gap between how much they're asking to pay to, to really kind of get that stuff out there and what these publishers feel they should have to pay is so vast, that gulf is so vast mm -hmm. that, you know, that this is just kind of dropping the water and trying to fix that. It's mm -hmm. all just PR. Mm -hmm. Well, thank everybody for tuning in to today's episode of the Comexus Cast Daily. Check us out tomorrow for more of the latest trending news. Have a great day.